Thank you so much, Josh and Leslie, for leading us this morning, worshiping the Lord. It is so good to be here with everyone today. I know it's a little bit of a dreary day outside, but if it makes you feel better, when I was in California last Saturday, it looked exactly like this. So they're not doing any better out there either. So <laughs> it's just that time of the year, right? Winter's here, winter's coming. Um, it's cold, it's wet. It's snowy, and you just want to curl up inside the house, but how good is it to be with God's people this morning, worshiping Him and opening His Word together? Amen? Amen. It is truly great to be back here with everybody today. I, I was counting the weeks with us being gone. I think it's been almost a month since we've been here with, uh, with uh, two Sundays gone and the weather the way it was the week before, so it is uh, so good to be here worshiping with you all this morning. So glad everybody uh, made it out of bed on a day that uh, would look like you don't want to get out of bed and uh, come together to worship. Um, as we continue on through Advent and we continue to press on toward Christmas and uh, the remembrance of the coming of our King Jesus, we are going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7 today. And we're going to be reading verses 1 to 17 together. And we're going to look at the Lord's covenant with David and this promise that God makes to establish a throne forever with the house of David. So if you have your... Hopefully you have your Bibles. Go ahead and open them up to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. If you don't have your Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. It's on page 259. We're going to go ahead and read that together. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before me. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a, a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I know I said it once already, but it is such a great joy to be here worshiping with you all today, getting the honor and the privilege to open God's Word with Faith Baptist Church. Um, definitely missed it, and I just wanted to say thank you so much to our brother Mason Sherrill from Calvary for coming the last couple weeks and uh, getting us started on these four weeks of Advent the way that he did. I, I got to listen in a, a little bit, um, or I got to listen into his sermons, and it was definitely a blessing to me as he pointed us to Christ in, uh, in the Old Testament, and I hope that it was a blessing to you as well. When Mason and I talked originally about what we were doing, where we were going to be going, what we were going to be studying through uh, the month of December, I shared with him too just this sort of idea of 
what if we built like a biblical theology of the coming of Jesus starting in the Old Testament and that where biblical theology is just a kind of a fancy way to say, what does the Bible say from the Old Testament all the way through about a particular topic? And that's where we started. We started with Genesis 3 uh, two weeks ago where we were looking at God's promise that he made even in the garden immediately after man's rebellion against him that there would be one who would come and crush the head of the serpent that would bring salvation to God's people. And then we followed it up last week in Genesis 12 with Abraham receiving a promise from God that his offspring, that he was, or God was going to build a nation out of the family of Abraham. And this nation, from this nation, was going to come a blessing to all nations. So we have this promise from God in the garden to bring a Savior. We have this promise from God to Abraham that there's going to be a blessing. The Savior, the Messiah, this blessing to the nations is going to come through Him. And now we get uh, fast forward in the history of Israel to this uh, part in 2 Samuel where we see God coming to David and making a promise to David. David, I'm going to build a house for you. You're going to have a throne, David, that will be established forever. We've been looking at these um, verses these last three weeks to see God and see him, see him in His promises. To see Him in the way that He's fulfilled them. To see them in the way that they are still uh, coming to be fulfilled. And we're doing so to build a sense of anticipation for ourselves. What's the most exciting part about Christmas, kids? What's the thing you guys love the most about Christmas? The presents, right? The presents. Everybody wants the presents. But I think the presents are only one part of that because as you sit there and you set presents under the tree and the kids see them and they get excited and they say, what's that one? What's that? What's in that one? It's not just getting to that point and opening the presents. That is a joyful moment for you as a kid to see what you, what's in there, what your parents have gone and blessed you with. But every day leading up to Christmas, you have uh, new things that show up in the house. You decorate. Presents come out and get put under the tree. You know, hopefully you have one of these Advent readings as a family. You're getting to read these stories through the Old Testament leading up to Jesus. There's this anticipation that builds to the day of Christmas. This anticipation that builds to the day we remember when Jesus came as a baby, ultimately to live and die and rise again, right? This anticipation drives us and makes us so excited about Christmas because everything's different. There's trees and lights and presents and food and smells and sights and music. It's the anticipation that builds, that makes that joy so much better when we get to that day, right? And that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been doing this Advent season. We want to look at Israel and see from the very moment where man fell, God left us waiting with a sense of anticipation that he was going to do something. He was going to do something to fix our state of sin and our state of rebellion against him. He was making promises to raise up a people for himself in Israel through Abraham. We see these promises that God has made time after time. And hopefully we are encouraged as we see God's faithfulness and his plan. And we look how they've already come through or already come true for us in so many ways in Christ. But how in Jesus, even though he's come into this world once, and that was something that Israel was supposed to be looking forward to, we still have something to look forward to even today with His second coming, right? Because we have a, a king in Jesus who's not just dead. He didn't, stay in the, he didn't stay in the tomb. He was raised in His throne. His throne, that throne that David uh, was established through David forever, is the one that He sits on. So we still have something more to anticipate in Christ. I was thinking about that this way as I was preparing this week, but um, earlier this year in September, uh, there was big news out of the UK. Queen Elizabeth passed away. She was 96 years old. She was the longest serving monarch in the history of the United Kingdom. And she was, um, her son, her oldest son Charles, took over for her upon her death. Charles was 73 years old. He was three years old when his mother took on the mantle of queen. So 
for almost his entire life, he sat there knowing that one day his mother wasn't going to be there and the, the throne would be his to sit on. He had 70 years to sit and anticipate that day where he would have to assume that role and that mantle. Can you imagine waiting 70 years for something like that, knowing that the day is coming, knowing that day of responsibility you have is, is going to be there? 70 years. 70 years may sound like a long time for us, and it definitely is in light of the length of our lives. Many of us may not make it past 70. You don't know. Only the Lord knows. But in our passage today, God speaks to David, and he makes him a promise that will see God's people waiting in anticipation for God to fulfill a promise of David's throne being established forever. That's far longer than 70 years, right? We, already, we said it, I, I walked us through quickly. We see God start with this promise immediately after creation. This is God working throughout all of history for thousands of years to get to the point where Jesus would come on the scene and fulfill God's plan of salvation on this earth. These promises we see to David, we see the beginnings of fulfillment today, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we walk through this. Um, in the life of Solomon, we do see some of that in Solomon, David's son. But there are many, many things in this verse. This verse, this passage is just dripping in messianic language. There is so much that as we read it, we can see how Solomon would have fulfilled some of it, but there's other things there that it's like, this is Jesus. That's who we're looking for here. That's who this is pointing us to. And so, this throne that God has promised to David that will be established forever 1,000 years later. Charles had to wait 70 years. This is 1,000 years later. We see Jesus come and we see this greater fulfillment of this promise that God has made. God has been working throughout human history to bring about His King. His Son Jesus who rules and reigns, who brought peace between men and God by offering Himself up as a sacrifice on the cross. The servant king who Israel was supposed to be waiting for with anticipation for His coming. They wanted the Messiah. They wanted Him there. They wanted to be free from all the oppression. They wanted to have their land. They wanted to have their temple. They wanted to be in a place where they could worship their king. They were waiting for Jesus with so much anticipation. Now we wait like they did with anticipation. Well, we know this king. And this king came as a servant king, but the next time he comes, he will come as a conquering king. And we'll see him in all his fullness, and we will see him face to face, ruling on that throne of David that God has promised to establish forever. This king who Israel waited for and missed at his first coming, when he came from heaven to being peace on earth and goodwill toward men, let us not miss him today. Let's not miss Him as we wait for His return and we wait for that great joy that it will be for all of us who have put our hope and our faith in Him. That's the main idea today. That's why it's up on the screen. This throne of David that will be established forever that is right at the heart of this text that is pointing us not just to the life of David but to what God is doing and working throughout all of human history. And hopefully at the, the end, as we come to the end of our time today, we're going to see why. We're going to see that Ultimately, King Jesus, as He fulfills this, is going to bring an end to sin. He's going to bring an end to suffering. And He's going to bring everlasting peace for His people. We need to know this because we need to live as His people today. So with that, let's take a quick look back at our text. And let's walk through what God has for us here in uh, 2 Samuel 7. Verse 1-3 to says this, now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Who is this king we have here in chapter 7 that's speaking to this prophet Nathan? This king right here is David. And right now we find David at a relative moment of peace in his life. 
So 2 Samuel begins as a book with David hearing about the death of Saul. And this Saul had been king of Israel, but because of his disobedience before the Lord, God took the right of his kingship and of his house to rule Israel away from him. Saul failed. Saul disobeyed God. And God said, you will not be king over my people. God had at that point the prophet Samuel anoint David, who at that time was just a boy tending his father's sheep. Nothing nice or good about him. When David came to Jesse's house like God told him to, David wasn't even there. Jesse brought all of his oldest sons out before Samuel and said, look, here's my big, strong, strapping oldest son right here. Surely he's a king, right? No. It went right down the line to the point where Samuel said, where's your son? And that's when he said, I, I've got a son. He's the smallest, the little runt out with the sheep. Surely he can't be king, right? A child was anointed king that day. Back in 1 Samuel 16, this is where we find the story of Samuel anointing David king. And you would think that this act of a prophet anointing someone as king, what would, that, what would that do if somebody walked up and said, Josh, you will be king of the United States of America one day? Shaking his head, look, see. Should be a, I, know, I know there's plenty of us that sit at home that sit there and say we long for that day. If only we could just fix everything ourselves, right? But no, those days are not happy days. This anointing of, of David was not just met with joy and, and uh, excitement. But in the case of David, it began a journey in his life where he would be, go from one struggle to the next, one um, act of uh, um, oppression and, and anger, where he'd be running for his life constantly until the day Saul died. This began a journey where David would find himself being called into the palace to serve as a musician for the king. They would see David going to battle on behalf of Israel, to stand against the Philistine champion Goliath as Goliath was sitting there mocking the armies of God and Israel terrified him backing away. This boy walks up and said, who is this that would stand against the name of the Lord? You'd go into battle against Goliath and he would win the day for Israel. This would see the king of Israel from this point, Saul, who David has been anointed to replace. It would see him become increasingly jealous of David. And as David becomes a war hero, and Saul's, Saul's jealousy only grows to the point where Saul is trying to actively kill David. And David has to run for his life. Literally, the Bible describes an incident where he's throwing spears. Saul is throwing spears at David inside of, inside of the, um, his house. David's on the run. This moment where David has been anointed to be king has not been peaceful or, or joyful. There's probably been many joys along the way, but it's seen David on the run for his life. And once Saul finally falls in battle and dies, David is anointed king of Israel by the elders and defeats the Philistines in 2 Samuel chapter 5. This long process that started all the way back in 1 Samuel 16 where David is anointed king that leads to all of this strife, all of this tension, all of this hardship, waiting for this day where he's going to be king, comes to an end in 2 Samuel chapter 5, when David defeats the Philistines, and he finds himself finally at this moment of peace, where he is king over Israel, and the people are not at war. This is why we find David in chapter 7, in this house of cedar, he's king of Israel now, the people see that, his enemies have been defeated and now in this moment, this moment of peace, he's taken up his royal residence, and it's here that David looks at the prophet Nathan, and he says to him, I have this beautiful house, but the Lord lives in a tent. Why is the Ark of the Covenant, this thing that carries the presence of God with his people, why is it, is it dwelling in something that's worse than what I'm in right now? David expresses his desire to Nathan to sort of rectify a perceived injustice See, David knows right here. David knows 
You can click the next slide for me, Jerry. That'd be great. Sorry, I had a few points there for us too. Right? We see David established as a king so far. But now here we are in this part. David acknowledges that it's only because of God that he's, he is where he's at. God has anointed him for this purpose. God has brought him through all of the hardships, all of the potential life or death situations to get him to this point. And he's acknowledging that before God, he is just a servant. God has protected him from the Philistines. He's protected him from, the, from Saul. And here in this moment where David is acting humble, David's saying it's not good for me to be treated better than God, the one who's put me in this place. David knows who he is, who he is before God here in this moment. And it's probably one of the reasons why the Bible does describe him at times as a man after God's own heart. But in this moment here, after Nathan says, obviously the Lord's with you, do whatever you want, God comes to Nathan. He comes to him that very night to tell David, or to give David a message. Right? He comes to him to tell him, David, you're not going to build a house for God, but God is going to build a house out of you. Let's look back at verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I have brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Have you ever had your kids come up to you and tell you something like they're gonna they're gonna build a house, right? My kids love to build forts. And I'm like, Dad, I'm gonna build a house. I'm gonna build you a house. It's gonna be your house, right? And if you haven't, just picture that scenario, right? Like you remember being a kid and making forts and building inside your house, right? Imagine your kids coming and they're telling you, I'm gonna build you a house, Dad. And they're so excited. They have this plan to build you this awesome place that you're going to love. It's going to be great. So what do they do? They go to the living room, take some cushions off the couch. They take some pillows and some blankets. And put together four little walls and a blanket over the top for a cover, right? And they come and they tell you, and they're so proud. Look what I built for you, Dad. I built you a house. It's so cute, you can't sit there and make fun of it, right? You love it, you love their excitement, but at the end of the day, you're looking at it saying, you do realize, like, those are my cushions. And you do realize you're living inside my house right now, right? There's nothing you have or that you've done in all your pride that's exceeded what I've already done for you. But they're so excited, right? So it's cute. So when we look at our kids, it's, it's one thing. And I've got a feeling that David saying he's going to build a house for the Lord looked kind of like that to God. God coming that very night telling David, you want to build me a house? You, you do realize, like, I'm in charge of everything on the board. You're here because I put you here, David. I think the Lord appreciated probably this zealous thought that David had, just like we'd appreciate from our kids, right? But this wasn't the intention or the purpose of the plan of the Lord. And David was getting a little bit ahead of himself. And so God took that zeal, and he came to him in this dream, that Nathan, or that um, vision that Nathan had that he was to take to David. David, right now, is looking at God with that big smile on his face, saying, God, I'm going to make you a house. I'm going to make you so proud, God. And Nathan comes to him and says, 
the Lord told me, when did I ever tell you to do that, David? Are you doing what I've commanded you to do right now? God's telling David in verses 6 and 7, I've never told anyone to build me a house of cedar, David. And I've been where I've wanted to be. I've been in the midst of my people. I've been with Israel as they've carried the Ark of the Covenant from place to place, setting up this tent right in their midst. And God tells David, not only that, but David, it's me who has raised you up. David, it's me who's put you here to be a prince over my people. David, you are my servant, Yahweh says. And it's only by the hand of God that David has come to be in the position that he's in. And God tells him here, I've been with you this whole time, David. I've never ceased to be with you through everything that you've you've gone through. Verse 9 says, this is the Lord talking to Nathan to tell David, I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now David wants to tell Yahweh what he's going to do for him. Seems a little silly, right? Instead of David now telling God what he's going to be doing for him, God comes. And in these last eight verses, God tells David what he's going to do. Look back at verse 9 with me. And I've been wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rods of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Sorry. One of these days, this cough is going to go away. These verses are beautiful right here. These are, are, are beautiful, beautiful verses for us. They are dripping. They are soaking wet with messianic foreshadowing. These verses have much to say about David and to us as readers about what is to come. But the language used here shows us that there's a present reality that's coming true for David right there before him. But there's also a greater future reality in these, in these verses that we're ultimately pointed to as well. Verses 10 and 11, we see God telling David that there will be a place that his people will find rest and peace, that the enemies of his people will be stilled They will not afflict them with their evil anymore. God promises a time of rest to His people. And at the tail end of these promises, God tells David, you wanted to build me a house, but let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a house, David. He's not going to turn David into a house. He's talking about building out of David a dynasty, a line of kings that will come and will rule over God's people forever. This is not just about A palace that God's going to build for David? This is not just an earthly dwelling. This is God establishing this line of David. This line of David that's come from the line of Abraham. That's come out of the promise God made in the garden 
to send an offspring that will crush the head of the serpent. This is the next step in God fulfilling that promise. David is going to die. We know that. It's been 3,000 years. He's been gone for quite a while. But God promises that when he's no longer on this earth, God will raise up his what? What's it say in verse 12? He's going to raise up his offspring. He's going to remember his offspring. And I think there's beautiful peace of the promise of that, of these promises we've looked at through the first two weeks of Advent. What does God promise in the serpent when he's talking to the garden? He's going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Genesis 12, God promises to make a great nation out of Abraham. God promises to take these offspring from Abraham and make them more numerous than the stars. And this offspring that Abraham gets is going to bless the nations. God is working throughout history, promising this coming offspring, this offspring that will crush the head of the serpent, bless the nations. And now this promise to David of his offspring that will be raised up as a king to rule over God's people forever. I know I said there's a present reality to this passage, but also a future reality to this passage. So let's look briefly at that present reality that part of which was fulfilled. Because there was a king raised up from the line of David. Solomon took over after David died. He took his place as king. And Solomon rules over a time of peace and prosperity in Israel. 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 20-25 to describe Solomon's reign like this. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdom from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and a fattened fowl. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tipsa to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety, from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, all the days of Solomon. Solomon had this temporary time of peace and prosperity ruling over Israel. But that's not the only thing right there that we see fulfilled. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, um, verses 10-11, we see Solomon taking up this task of building this temple. He's building this house for the Lord that David said he was going to. We see these promises that have been made to David, fulfilled to Solomon in so many ways. But we also see that God is making it clear that Solomon is not the ultimate and final fulfillment of this promise. Because verse 16 says it, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So even though there's bits and pieces of what has been promised to David coming to pass, there's parts of this that no son of David in that time could have ever truly fulfilled, right? We're seeing this promise has a greater fulfillment to come. Because like we said just a minute ago, David died. He's been gone for quite a while. He was laid down with his fathers, as the Lord said in verse 12, right? Solomon's not alive still today. Solomon, just like his father David, died. And he was laid to rest with his fathers. And following Solomon, there were 19 men who sat on the throne of Judah and 19 that sat on the throne of Israel after the kingdom split upon Solomon's death. They're all dead. None of them are here with us now. It was time in Israel's history where the kingdom was divided in two and all these kings sat on this throne that they both claimed was David's. Eventually, 
out of disobedience and idolatry, these two kingdoms were dispersed of. And God sent them out to live as aliens and strangers in pagan nations. There was no king in Israel at that time. Imagine being a Jew and being taken into captivity in Babylon. And sitting there under the king of Babylon. The city destroyed, the walls destroyed, the temple destroyed. And you're reading this promise that God made to David. God, where is the throne established forever, Lord? We waited and now we had a king and we had our own nation and things were pretty good. But you promised the throne forever. You didn't promise the throne for a couple hundred years. You said forever, Lord. You'd be sitting there in Babylon at the time, you'd be thinking the Lord had failed. There was no throne established forever. What kind of promise was this, God? Well, if there's one thing we know that's true about God, His promises never fail. And while there were many generations of people who longed with a great anticipation of seeing that throne of David truly established forever, of being out of pagan captivity, they didn't see it. And we, today, as we sit here and we read this story and we think about the history of Israel, we get the benefit of looking back on what God has accomplished and the fulfillments of the promises that He's already seen through. What do I mean by that? Well, take a look at Acts chapter 2 with me. If you would flip over there really quick to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read a few verses here, starting in verse 29. We get the benefit of looking back at God's promises and seeing how He fulfilled them in ways that Israel did not. Israel, because of their disobedience, they were scattered among pagan nations. But they still were waiting for that Messiah. They were still waiting for that day when they would see that throne that God promised to establish forever be filled. Let's read Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 29 together. This is the Apostle Peter saying this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Then Jesus God raised up, and of all that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father of promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. This is Peter, right at the beginning of Acts. And who is he pointing Israel to as he's talking to them? Look at the throne that God promised to establish forever. This Jesus is the Lord and the Christ. That word Christ comes from a Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. When we think of anointed one, we already had an example of that. David was anointed by Samuel to be what? King. Jesus is the Messiah. He is God's chosen King. He is the anointed one of God who is the true King of all creation, who is the true fulfillment of the promises of God to see the throne of David established, not just for a few hundred years in Israel, not just trying to reestablish it temporarily while under Roman occupation. No, this is God fulfilling that promise forever because Jesus is the only king who could sit on that throne forever because just like Peter said David is dead and buried his tomb is with us to this day Jesus went to the tomb and three days later he wasn't there anymore Jesus is the coming king who would see the throne of David established forever who will lead his people from their enemies truly forever bringing about a, a peace are bringing about a time of peace 
Jesus is the King who because of our iniquity suffered under the rods of men and suffered the stripes of the sons of men. And Jesus is the one that sits on this throne of David that will last forever. This has been established as God has promised. And this promise is fulfilled in Jesus. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we come and we all of a sudden change the time of year, right? And we, we decorate. We, we sit there and we have extra reading and we light candles. We remember that Jesus is the light of the world who's come in to save us from our sin. He is the one who's been the fulfillment of these promises that we've looked at these last three weeks. I was told the kids as we were sitting there trying to build anticipation, right Timothy? As we're building anticipation for Christmas that's coming, I would look at them and I would say, why are we decorating our house, guys? We're waiting for someone. Someone's coming for us. Right? So what do you do when you have guests coming to your house? When you're waiting for people to come to your house? You just sit around and leave it there? No, you clean. You spray some air freshener, right? You kind of get things cleaned up and organized because you're waiting for those people to come. There's that anticipation that's building up. That's why we decorate. That's why we celebrate the season the way we do. It's all about building that anticipation to see the promises of God fulfilled. And we see it in Jesus. We see it in His first coming. We see Him taking that throne forever. And we're going to see it in its fullness one day. And that's what we have anticipation for now. So I want to ask us this question as we get ready to wrap up. Why do we need this coming King? Why do we need Him? Because this is, this is a beautiful story. This is a beautiful promise God has made to David. We can take this and look at this. And we did it very briefly here today, but we can see God fulfilling His promises throughout the entirety of Scripture. And what an amazing picture that is that just shows the Bible is not just some ordinary book written by human hands, right? But why do we need to know that this King is coming? Why does God want to establish a throne forever out of the house of David? I think first, we've already talked about it. We've seen this messianic picture of promise that God has made to David. That this throne is not meant simply for a human dynasty. That this is for telling that God will send His own Son in the line of David, just like He did. This is God telling us that in this line of kings that Jesus is going to be born, He is going to live for His people. And He's going to die for His people. And He's going to rise again and rule over all of creation. And when He does that, He is going to be not far, not distant. He is going to be amongst His people. We looked at Revelation 21 a few weeks ago. And verse 1-5 to describes that day like this. John describing this vision says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, or the throne, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God's intention is to dwell among His people. And He's declared that there is a throne that is fit only for His Son to rule and reign on for all eternity. And that throne will be in the midst of His people. God has called out to each one of us. He's calling out to all of us now. He's calling out to this world around us that is lost and dying. And we see that at Christmas. We see His mercy as a small baby born in the most humble of circumstances to grow up as this king who rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey 
How humiliating for a king to ride in on a donkey. Right? This is not a war horse. This is a man who is coming as a sacrifice to make us right before God, to reconcile us to Himself. That's why we need to know why this throne has been established forever. That's why we need to know, because we need to know that God has drawn us to Himself, and that's His intention and His purpose, is to build a people for Himself. And that should change our lives. That should change the way we live. That should change the way we think. Why do we need this king? I think the very end of the book of Judges sums it up very nicely for us in one verse. I think it sums it up perfectly why humanity needs this King Jesus. I put the verse on the screen for you there too. Judges 21-25. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In this book of Judges, there was this cycle where there would be a falling away from God, there would be a worshiping of idols, and there would be punishment that would come for breaking the covenant that Israel had made. And then the people would cry out to God to save them, and then God would send a leader, someone to deliver them from their current situation. And for a while, the people would repent and turn back to God, and they would repeat the cycle over and over and over again. And if you read the book of Judges, you're going to see that, and that's going to, that's, that is just the recurring theme that happens. At the very end of the book of Judges, though, we get that statement. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The people of Israel in the book of Judges were, were there. They were at the promised land. They were there. They had the law of God. They should have had all these things that they thought they needed, right? But what were they missing? They were missing God's king. And they were missing His presence with them. The promises in the law weren't the things that were going to save Israel. They were the things that left Israel waiting in anticipation of their fulfillment. So many ways I think we can relate to, to this um, today in our lives too, right? I think we see a world around us. And even though we have the benefits of 2,000 years of history, of being molded and shaped by the good news of the Gospel, we have these 2,000 years where Christians have faithfully proclaimed that Jesus has come into the world to save people and reconcile them to God. I think we look around us and we see a world where there is no king. And we see a world where everyone is seeking to do what is right in their own eyes. I think this lines up nicely with the supreme virtue of the culture we live in today. You do you. Have you ever heard that saying before? You do you. You have your truth, I have my truth. That's another popular one, right? That's the philosophy that dominates our world today. This view of the world is exactly what it looks like when there is no king and all do what is right in their own sight. But one of the beautiful things of this promise that God has made to David is that he has established his throne forever. God has his king, his son Jesus, who is the Lord of all. And even though we would have just sitting there living our lives, doing what's right in our own sight without him, God doesn't leave us in this hopeless condition. He hasn't left the people in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our country. He hasn't left the people the world over without hope of deliverance from our sin. Think about the, probably the most famous verse in the Bible in our culture, right? John 3.16. Probably most people could say it from memory right now, right? For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Sunday of joy, right? That's this Advent Sunday theme. What greater joy could there possibly be to know that all the wrong that we've done, all the people we've hurt, all the tears we've caused have been forgiven and we've been reconciled to God and we stand righteous before Him because of that. 
What kind of joy do we have in this King? This is why we need this King. We need this King to put us in our right place. We all want to be King. We all want to be masters of our own destiny. And when we do, the results are always deadly, damaging. We hurt the people we love. We chase after things that cause us to just self-destruct. Drugs, gambling, sexual promiscuity, all these things that cause us to elevate ourselves that really do nothing more than just kind of chase the momentary high. We need this king to keep our hearts in check. We need this king to be truly king with us, with our knees bent and bowed before him. Because Jesus is your king. He truly does change everything in our lives. We are new creatures, new creations in Christ. We have new hearts with new minds that see the world not as the old dead sinners we used to be, but we see them truly with the eyes of Christ. That should be our goal today with Jesus as our King. This throne established forever. Jesus is our King. Bend the knee to Him today. He is your King who will rule and reign for eternity. And we are getting closer and closer to the day. Literally, December 25th is only two weeks away, right? We're getting closer and closer to the day. This day that we set aside to remember His first coming. It's almost here. So let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. Let's um, embrace that joy today that we have in Christ and what God has done, establishing this throne forever for our good and perfect King. But remember now, church, that we wait in anticipation for that day when we will see Jesus in all His glory and majesty. So let's rejoice. Let's have that joy of Christ today and let's celebrate our God and our King whose throne has been established forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is so good. And I just praise You, Lord, that You've given us uh, the opportunity to glimpse into it today, Lord. And I pray that it would um, create a heart on fire inside of us to continue to pursue You in your word, Lord. Let us see the beauty of your promise, God. Help us wrestle through hard things that we read that we may not understand. But God, let us see at the heart of the entire scripture is your son Jesus, who is so good to us, who is merciful and gracious, who has given himself up as a sacrifice for us, Lord. Let us see that. Let us see that as we get ready to celebrate Christmas this year. Let us just celebrate our king who is on his throne that you've established forever, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.